Because today, that's the theme. I'm calling it the rest of the story. Uh, that's the theme that we are going to get from the Word of God uh, this morning. And I just want to say at the outset, if you're suffering or if you've ever suffered, we heard Cameron this morning talking about mountaintops and valleys and, you know, life is this. Life is not this all the time. We experience pain. We experience suffering. Some might even think, God's punishing me. I'm feeling the wrath of God. And if that's you, if it's ever been you, where you were just like, like God, you're, you're punishing me here. And, and man, I'm in deep suffering and pain. You need the rest of the story. You need the rest of the story. We're going to talk about it today. Last week, uh, we touched on the last book of the Old Testament, the last book uh, called Malachi. And Pastor Noah preached, and he went through the last portion of Malachi chapter 3, and then the first half of Malachi chapter 4. And in essence, that last part of Malachi chapter 3 poses a question, what's the point? You know, what is the point of serving God? And in, in Malachi, the prophet re rebuked the people of Israel because they had this attitude they had this attitude of, what's the point of serving God? It's just so hard. It's difficult. And Malachi rebuked that attitude, and we learned uh, the answer to the question, what's the point? The prophet reminded the people. He said, you're, you're asking God uh, these questions, you're actually saying it's futile to serve God. It's futile. It feels like I'm going to a funeral to serve God. Serving God, you're, you're going around like mourners. And you're, you've got this attitude, what is the point of serving God and following his commandments? I feel like I'm at a funeral. You say evildoers prosper. And when they test God, they get away with it. So what's the point? Why bother? serving God. And Pastor Noah, he, he addressed that question, and he gave us the answers, which are there in the last part of Malachi 3, the first half of Malachi chapter 4, and it offers hope, hope for those who serve God. Drop that attitude of, you know, what's the point? I feel like I'm at a funeral. You can be assured, this was the prophet's word that, that God had given him. You can be assured God hears, he remembers. You are his treasured possession, and you have eternal healing. And about the wicked, well, the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, God sees it, and he'll deal with the wicked. Uh, those who seemingly get away with it, ultimately, they will be in the furnace of God and they become as ash. This was the word of the prophet. This is the answers we received last week. Now let's look at the rest of the story. Let's look at the final portion of Malachi chapter 4. This is the, the end of the Old Testament. This is the last three verses in the Old Testament. This is how God, through the prophet Malachi, closed out 
the entire book we call the Old Testament. Let's read it. It's Malachi chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. And it says this, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all of Israel. That's the mountain Horeb. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Now let's go over this. Let's go over what what it means to uh, remember Moses and who is this prophet Elijah that uh, Malachi is talking about and what's this dreadful day of the Lord and what does it mean for the hearts of the parents to be turned to the children, these, these final verses. Let's just go through them. Now recall the context, recall what was leading up to this, and that is this question, what's the point? It's futile to serve God. We feel like we're going to a funeral. But remember, now Malachi began to say, don't lose hope. God hears, he remembers, he treasures you, he will eternally heal you, and he will prevail over the wicked. The message then continued, the message that uh, we just read those final verses. And it says, remember my servant Moses and all that I gave him, the decrees and the laws at that mountain called Horeb I gave to all the nation of Israel. Malachi in his message, he says, look back. This is what the Lord's saying. Look back. Now, how far did they have to look back? 1,100 years. It wasn't yesterday that Moses was with them. It wasn't 100 years ago. It was over 1,000 years. He says, look back. Remember. And what do you need to remember about Moses? Well, he was a servant of God, and he was a servant to the people. His heart cared for the people. Moses, on more than one occasion, went before God and he begged mercy. He pleaded with God, God, have mercy on these people. Forgive them. So Malachi is saying, remember that faithful servant, that faithful leader, that faithful father in the faith. And remember all that God gave to Moses, the laws, the decrees, the statutes. Remember God's commands. Why? To do them. And remember, too, in all of that, there were warnings, warnings to the unfaithful. Why? So they would keep revering God, so they would be in awe of God. And remember also God's promises through all that he gave to Moses. It was full of promises to the faithful to hearten them, to encourage them to remain faithful. So remember those beginnings. Malachi says, remember those. Now look forward. Look forward. God's not done yet. There's more to come. There's more to God's story. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. Now, this prophecy was fulfilled. Who was this Elijah? John the Baptist. Jesus said, consider John, Elijah. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus said, John is the Elijah who was to come. That prophecy was fulfilled in John the Baptist. John had a ministry of preparation. John had this 
uh, ministry of repentance. He had this message. He went to the people. He said, you need to repent. You need to prepare because one is coming greater than me, Jesus. John said, He's, I can't even untie the, the lace on his sandal. He's so much greater than me. And John baptized people for repentance. And that was all before this day of the Lord. What is this day of the Lord? Scripture refers to many days of the Lord. John came before a great and dreadful day of the Lord. And, and what was that day? And as I said, there were, there's many portions of Scripture that mention a day of the Lord. There, there are many interpretations to what this might mean. Some see this day of the Lord as a, a span of time, say from Jesus uh, when he was born through the time the Holy Spirit uh, was poured out on the day of Pentecost. Some see it as more of a future day. But there is a day, one view uh, of a day that, that fits. And that is uh, the day that Jesus took our punishment. The, the day that Jesus took on what we deserve for our sins. The day that Jesus was nailed to a cross. On that day, there was an earthquake there was an earthquake and this thick, thick curtain in the temple. It, it was a partition that kept everyone away from the holiest part of the temple. That curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. That curtain was there because God's presence would come behind that curtain. Nobody could go there into the presence of God, save for a priest one day at a time. And when Jesus was on the cross and he said, it's finished, that earthquake occurred. And that, that curtain, which was tall, some 60 feet, it was torn from top to bottom. When Jesus said, it's finished, that was a great and dreadful moment for those who had condemned him. God let it be known with unequivocal certainty by tearing that curtain from top to bottom that the sacrificial system was done. It was gone. It was finished. The end. John the Baptist had announced this ministry of Jesus. And then Jesus came. And, and he was crucified. And then God showed he was the final sacrifice. No more needed. The temple didn't, the, the, the temple was no longer necessary. The sacrificial system, done. And what a day for those who had accused Jesus and condemned him to death. And John, John had uh, been prophesied to be this one who would, who would prepare the way. And the word from Malachi said, he will uh, turn the hearts of the parents to the, to the children. And you know, what does this mean? Well, the idea of parents, it can be looked at as leaders. At, at John's time, the leaders or the parents in the faith, they were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they looked back. They kind of looked back like Malachi had said, look back to Moses. Those leaders, those Pharisees, those Sadducees, they looked back to Abraham, who was even before Moses, Abraham was a great father of the faith, as was Moses. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, the patriarchs, these were, these were the parents, the fathers of the faith. The Pharisees considered Abraham 
their father. You know what John the Baptist said to those Pharisees and Sadducees? You're a brood of vipers. You call Abraham your father? He's not. Because you're, you're not a child of God. You guys are hypocrites. You're a brood of vipers. He said you need to repent. That's what he said to those so-called leaders, those so-called parents of the faith. He said repent. They weren't true fathers of the faith, but there were new fathers in the faith. John the Baptist was one of them because he was preaching repent and he was preaching Christ. He said, less of me, more of Jesus. He told his followers, you need to follow Jesus. He was a new and a true father in the faith and then more followed the apostles. Saul, who became Paul, and and people like Timothy, Priscilla and Aquila. These were new parents in the faith, unlike this brood of vipers who didn't care about the people. They didn't care about the people. They put a heavy burden on the people. Unlike that brood of vipers, the new parents in the faith, their hearts were turned to the children of God. They, they loved them. The, the apostle Paul, you know, he would write to the people in Corinth, I became your father in Christ through the gospel. Priscilla and Aquila, they took aside a guy named Apollos because Apollos, he knew about uh, uh, Jesus, but he didn't really know the, the whole story. They taught him about the rest of the story, the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Spirit. They took him aside to teach him a more excellent way. These were the new parents in the faith whose hearts were turned toward the children of God. Malachi's closing words were, remember the beginnings of the faith and the good parents you had then, like Moses. Now look forward. Look forward to what's coming. One who's gonna tell you about the day of the Lord and he'll care for you as a parent cares for a child. And then the final word, then the final word, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Now, where did that come from? Isn't that uplifting? This final chapter was so good. It was going so good. It was all about God established good things, good things that are gonna come, you know, what's the point? The, the question's answered. And, and God's, you know, given this message, good things are going to come. And then this final line, or else I'm going to come and strike the land with total destruction. Now, what a way to end. After Malachi's uh, message, God's voice stopped. God stopped speaking through the prophets. There wasn't a a prophet for 400 years until John the Baptist. 400 years. Now imagine you're 100 years, maybe 200 years, 300 years after Malachi. And you're reading this. You get to the end of the whole Old Testament. It's written, it's there, and you get to the end and... You read this, or else I'm going to come and strike you. Can you imagine how this might have shaped people's views of God? 
they had this, they had this written word, they get to the end, or else. You better walk the line or else. Man, God is cold. God is harsh. He's kind of arbitrary. He, He seems arbitrary. He's deterministic and cruel. If we don't walk the line, he is going to strike us. He's going to get us. He's going to strike the land with total destruction. You know, even today, that's how some view God. He's just out to get us. Oh, God is out to get me. Man, if I slip up, he punishes me. Pound, I feel it. You know, if I don't get it right, that, this is, this is my, like my life scripture, or else he's going to come and strike me. So what's the point? You know, what is the point? We kind of goes full circle. What's the point? Well, the point is God hears, he remembers, you're his treasured possession. He'll give you eternal healing. He'll deal with the wicked. Man, that was so good at the start of Malachi 4. Now look back and remember, you had great faithful leaders. God's established new ones that are faithful. Look forward to what's going to come. Get it right or else. Or else I'm going to come and get you. Now this book, this book that was called Moses and the Prophets uh, and the Psalms, this was our Old Testament. This is what the Jewish people had after Malachi. Now that was the end. This was the end that they had. Or else... Have you ever come to the end of a book and just hated it? Like, man, why did it end that way? Years ago, I I took up reading some of the Tom Clancy novels. I was traveling, helped pass time, sit in hotel rooms, whatever. They were serials about government, you know, uh, covert operations, I'll say. And Clancy, he built characters that went from one book to the next. You know, Jack Ryan and uh, you know, whatever. I, I read The Hunt for Red October, and I kind of got hooked, and I started reading these, and you know, they ended. The, the endings w- were pretty clean, even though these characters would wind up in the next story. I skipped one book. It didn't even matter. But then I read. I read this book he wrote called Dead of Honor. And when I got to the end... I was fed up. I I thought, how can you end a book like this? It just doesn't make sense. Dead of Honor, it was written, I think, 1994, thereabouts. And it had this ending like 9-11-2001. It was before that happened. But the end, you read this story, you get to the end. A 747 plows into the Capitol building during a joint session of Congress. Congress is wiped out. The president's gone. And this Jack Ryan character who had just become vice president, kind of a Richard Nixon, kind of uh, Gerald Ford way, he was appointed. Well, now he gets sworn in as president while, the, while Washington's burning. That's the end. I'm like, you're going to leave us here hanging with the country burning and there's no government and what? How can you end a book like this? I hated it. Well, what did I have to do? I had all these questions. Is the nation going to recover? How do you rebuild it? I wanted to know. I needed the rest of the story. I had to pick up the next book. I guess it's a great marketing thing, but hey, I had to get it. 
I had to get the next book, Executive Orders. It answered all the questions. It was a direct sequel. It picked up chapter one. Now Washington's still on fire, and uh, Jack Ryan's a brand new president. But it went through and it answered all the questions. Eh, nations restored, secure, good president. It ends with a great president giving a press conference. I wouldn't have known that. I wouldn't have known how this tale would come to such an end until I picked up and read the, the second book. The next book had the rest of the story. And, and that's the way it is with the word of God. If we take this attitude, God's out to get us. You know, his instruction is do this. You know, I know the commandments, do, do, don't, don't. I better do them or God's gonna get me. And if that's the way we see God is out to just punish us and get us and pound us if we don't make it right, there's this or else hanging over us. If that's how we view God, then we've missed. We've missed the God of love and the God of compassion. And I'll just say sometimes the God of love, the God of compassion is missed in this, we call the Old Testament. This part of my Bible. There's so many warnings to the people. You better get it right. There's so much judgment and consequences and destruction because of unfaithfulness and unbelief. But our God of love, our God of compassion, the one who's slow to anger, full of mercy, this God of grace that we, we sung so much about, whose mercies are new every single morning. Uh, the God that we sung about w- with a line that says, the Lord is full of grace and, and patience. The God who forgives and he pours out this grace, that God of grace is in the Old Testament. He's there. He is there throughout the entire book, but sometimes we miss it. Sometimes all people see is the wrath of God. Man, God's hard. They just see the judgment. They they see this word like, or else. And if that's the only God you see, you need the rest of the story. You need the true rest of the story. You need to take in... The, the, the rest of it here, I've got, this, is, this side is the rest of the story. It's, my, it's the New Testament. It's the second book. And you know, it's a direct sequel. It's a direct sequel to this Old Testament. The Old Testament ends with Malachi's word. Elijah's coming. He'll turn the, the hearts of the parents to the children and the children to the parents And that's how this book starts. You get into the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 1. Quotes exactly, Malachi chapter 4. Here comes John the Baptist. He's Elijah. Luke 1 says, John the Baptist will go before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord, to prepare people for Jesus. It's, It's... picks up right where it left off. I'm so glad I wasn't in that zone those 400 years. Praise God, you're not in that zone either. You've got the rest of the story. You've got it. We have Jesus. Jesus who revealed 
the Father. We've, we've got his life right here. It's recorded for us. Jesus, who said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's Old Testament God. Jesus, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And Jesus, who was human, he was tempted like us. He felt pain. He felt physical pain. He was physically tortured for us. He suffered for us. He received the consequences we deserve for our sin. Jesus did that. And he died on the cross for us as a day of the Lord, a, a, a day that had been ordained since before the beginning of time, the day that Jesus gave his life for us. What a day of the Lord. It, it, it says in Malachi, dreadful, yeah, dreadful to those who had condemned Jesus, but, but awesome in, in a true being in awe of God that he would do that for us. What a, what a day of the Lord. You know, and if we're ever in a place where we're tempted to think, man, God's out to get us. Oh man, I crossed that line, that or else line, I crossed it. God's punishing me. You grab hold of the rest of the story. Just grab hold, get in, read about Jesus, see Jesus, see Jesus who was punished for you, see Jesus who, was, who suffered for you, see Jesus who is the gateway beyond pain and suffering in this world. He's the gateway to eternal life. That's Jesus. Uh, there, there is a very interesting portion of uh, scripture in the account of Jesus raising his friend Lazarus from the dead. And I'm not going to go through the entire narrative of Jesus raising his friend Lazarus from the dead. It's a well-known account. Lazarus died. Jesus raised him from the dead. But before that, before Lazarus died, Jesus was told, your friend is sick. And how did he respond? Let's just read it and, and for a minute look at this. John 11, verses 4 to 6 it says, when he heard this, when Jesus heard, hey, Lazarus is sick, he's about to die. And Jesus wasn't even in his town, he was a good distance away. Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. You might gloss over that when you read the story of Lazarus because you want to get to the part where Lazarus walks out of the grave. This part is kind of sobering. It's a bit stunning. Jesus knew his friend Lazarus was sick. And it says he loved Lazarus and his sisters, Martha and Mary. So, Verse 6 begins with so, often translated therefore, Greek term, so, therefore. Lazarus is sick, therefore, Jesus stayed there two more days. Jesus loves Martha and Mary, therefore, he stayed two more days. He stayed there two more days so Lazarus could die, so they could feel pain, so they could suffer, they could bury their brother and grieve. 
What is up with that? I mean, is Jesus cruel? Was he just being cruel? Was he just being mean-spirited? I'm going to let him die. Man, those sisters need to feel some pain. What did he say? He said, I love him. I love Lazarus, and I love Martha, and I love Mary. And at first glance, it might seem cruel that he, he allowed this pain to occur. But Jesus said, it's for God's glory so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Might be hard to understand, but it's all about God's glory and Jesus being glorified as he reveals his love to Martha and to Mary. What was Jesus doing? He's, he's showing that suffering and sickness, they're not meaningless. You know, pain is not meaningless. It's not the end. He revealed not only had the power to heal, but he had the power over death, and he showed his disciples what was to come. You know, Jesus didn't raise every single person from the dead. He, Lazarus was this example. Jesus had power over death, and he was going to raise from the dead himself, and he was showing this to his disciples, and he felt pain. He felt pain with Lazarus's grieving sisters. Jesus wept with Martha and Mary. He wasn't punishing them. Through their pain and through their grief, more of Jesus was revealed to them. And sometimes God uses suffering to open to us a greater and a larger view of who he is. Why? So we see his glory. So we see his love instead of seeing wrath. So we see his compassion and his mercy instead of seeing punishment. So we see his grace and his patience instead of hearing, or else. Yeah, those times where we feel like we're getting punished, they can truly be humbling. It's in that humility, in that humility, when, when we're really, truly humble. Jesus, he, he picks up our broken heart. He can pick up the shattered pieces of a heart and begin to bind them back together and hold us through our suffering and our pain and our grief. Read on through the end. Read on through the end of the rest of the story. Take it all in. Read through to the end the book called Revelation. Now, I know Revelation, that's another portion of Scripture that's got so many interpretations. It's full of imagery. John the Apostle was having this great vision. But I want to tell you, the end is clear. The end is clear. There is a bride, and there is a groom, and there is a wedding. All those who have their names written in the book of life. If we think back to last week, eternal healing. Jesus, he's eternal life. That's what he came for. John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus who went to the cross to suffer and die for us. The gateway to eternal life, Jesus. The final sacrifice 
The end is clear. Those who have their names written in the book of life, they are the bride. They are the bride. This last book of the Old Testament revelation shows them as the bride of Christ residing in what's called the new city of Jerusalem. What happened to the old city? Well, the old city had an old bride called the harlot of Babylon, the one who had committed so much adultery against God. It's the unfaithful who didn't stand with God, the unfaithful that chased after all the foreign gods, the false gods, these, the, 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 the poor leaders of the faith who had led people astray. This was all part of what is depicted there in the book of Revelation, the harlot. And that old city and that old bride, they were tossed into the abyss. And then the Lamb of God, Jesus, the bridegroom, receives his bride. It's a beautiful picture. One of the final chapters of the book of Revelation says, the wedding of the lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. You know, there's one groom, one groom, Jesus. That's it. One. One God, one groom, Jesus. And there is only one bride. And that's those who've repented of their sin, recognized that Jesus received their just punishment on the cross, and they've turned to follow him. Now we have a word for those who have done that. The, the, the gathering of those who have done that, we call it the church. The church. The church, the bride, has made herself ready. That's what, the, that's what the end says, the rest of the story. And the wedding of the Lamb has come. That's the close of the rest of the story. And I got a question for you. Will you be at the wedding? There's one bridegroom, Jesus. And there's only one way. There's only one way to come to the wedding. It's through Christ. He's not cruel. He's not arbitrary. He's a God, our God, the God, the only true God. And he knows all about pain and suffering. When you ask, what's the point? He's a God of mercy and grace. Even even if all you see is judgment, even if all you see is or else, he is still a God of grace and mercy and loving kindness. And I want you to contrast the final words of the New Testament, the closing words of the New Testament with or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Let's contrast that with the final line of the Bible, what closes it out, Revelation twenty two twenty one, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people, amen. Receive that this morning. If you're in a valley, if you've ever been in pain, if you've ever been suffering, if you've ever asked that question, what's the point? If you've ever felt like you've been punished by God, take in 
rest of the story to the final line, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Amen. If you see God is out to get you, if you see him as heavy-handed and punishing, if you see him as holding over you or else, take it in. Take it in this morning. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Amen. Let's stand and, and stand and just receive that this morning. Stand, let's take that blessing. Let's take that final benediction from the word of God to our hearts this morning. Carry it out with you. It's true. Father God, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for sending Jesus beyond, beyond that first covenant, the blood of Christ, the new covenant, the final sacrifice, the one and only way to eternal life. He offered up his life to save us from our sin and he did it for us. He took our punishment to bring us peace with you, God. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. And Lord, I just pray, if there's any heart in this room feeling punished by you, any heart in this room that might feel you've been cruel or you were, or you've been harsh and hard and heavy-handed, God, I pray that, that heart, that broken heart, Lord, that you begin to to show like you showed Martha and Mary, how much you love them. How you pick up that heart and you'll be the one who binds up the brokenhearted. God, I just pray any, anyone here to receive that this morning and to truly walk out of this sanctuary knowing God's not punishing me, he's not out to get me, he loves me, he has a heart of compassion. Help me see his glory. Help me see the glory of Christ Jesus, my Lord and Savior. And Father, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with every single one. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Amen.